Science, economics and anthropology provide many insights, as in different ways do literature and art. But history has the particular quality of examining its subjects over time, proceeding by evidence-based narrative and argument, and it assumes that the past to some extent explains the present. It can thus help us to identify unusual aspects of our society and understand why we think about them in the ways we do. Recently, many historians have consciously focused on phenomena that overflow national boundaries, and transnational history and world history have attracted much attention. This is welcome as a basic fault of traditional national history, and most history ever written falls into this category, is insularity. Writing consciously or unconsciously, as if the history of a particular nation were self-contained, unique and incomparable, whereas it is inevitably part of much wider ebbs and flows. In the case of England particularly, some historians have come close to suggesting, sometimes with surprising vehemence, that it does not have, or should not have today, a meaningful history at all. The common argument is that it is subsumed into British history, or even a history of the Isles. The old Anglo-centric straitjacket is bursting at the seams, This widespread view is expressed in major works of scholarship and reflected in the 2013 National History Curriculum for England. The British perspective is most useful for the 17th century, when the island nations were entwined politically to a unique degree, though even then the insular view risks obscuring the fundamental importance to England of the Low Countries, France, Spain and Germany. Taking a longer view, it is evident that England has never been confined within a British shell. Not only was it, of course, a sovereign kingdom for most of its history, but no less importantly over the centuries, relations with Scandinavia, the Low Countries and France, and in modern times with the British Empire, the United States of America and Germany, have been even more important to England than those with the other island nations, even when these formed part of a more or less united kingdom. Following the various acts of British unification between 1536 and 1800, and colonial expansion in the 18th century, recounting the history of England certainly becomes more complex, especially in international contexts when England was not a separate actor, and historians of this period have often been criticised for using Britain and England interchangeably, as indeed many contemporaries did from the 17th century onwards. I hope I have avoided this. Nevertheless, the idea that England does not, or should not, have its own history is interesting and rather strange. It is unimaginable that the same argument could be made about Ireland, Scotland, or France. A history of England seems to unsettle people. The past, it seems, is not dead. It is not even past. This book attempts to tell the history of England, first as an idea, and then as a kingdom, as a country, a people, and a culture, trying to begin at the beginning without assuming any inevitability in what occurred, and trying to explore what is proper to England and what is shared with its various neighbours. The second theme of the book is memory. Collective memory as a pillar of national identity was posited by John Stuart Mill in the 1860s, and taken up in the 1880s by the French philosopher Ernest Renan, who placed the shared possession of a rich heritage of memories at its heart. 
As a subject of academic study, memory was first undertaken by French historians, whose term memoir suggests not individual recollections, but what is sometimes called social memory, a public culture recorded in monuments, books, institutions, and symbols. This book pursues that idea. The history of England is not simply what happened, or what historians believe they can demonstrate, but what a vast range of people for a great variety of purposes have recorded, asserted, and believed about the past. A confused mass of ideas, emotions, words, and images, often contradictory, argumentative, and divisive. Much memory, individual or collective, is fiction, and no less powerful for that. This book is not a systematic analysis of English social memory. Such a thing would have to be a vast collective undertaking. Nor is it...